You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. We're continuing on a teaching series entitled Traps and Tricks. We have an enemy, but your enemy cannot overcome you. I'll give you a minute to get settled in. Okay. Your enemy cannot overcome you. He cannot just overwhelm you. So he has to lay traps and play tricks. And the more that we are informed of that and aware of that, as as Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So if we are not ignorant of his devices, he cannot take advantage of us. And that's what he likes to do because he cannot overwhelm us. Then he wants to play traps, lay tricks. But the more aware that we are, then the more and the more informed that we are, the more that we can avoid and the more adjustments that we can make in our life. How many of you have been getting anything at all out of this series so far? And I really want to recommend that you go back and watch or listen or something last week as we talked about the trap and the trick of busyness. Make sure you get in on that. There are three basic needs of every individual, every individual. I don't care what their political affiliation is or if they go to church or not go to church or what country they're from, uh, what their background is. These three needs are basic, foundational to every person if they're really going to come to wholeness in life, if they're actually going to be fruitful in life. These three things. And we've talked about these on numerous occasions. Number one, you must have intimacy with God. And I don't care who you are. If that's missing, something's missing out of your life. You must have intimacy with God. What is intimacy? Intimacy is where you're safe and you're close. And and, uh, those two are very important. Not just close, but safe. And that we're in a relationship with God. That's what intimacy is, where we feel We feel close and we feel safe and warm and it's a place that we want to be. And so intimacy with God. Second of all is intimacy with others. Intimacy with others. And that's not just romance with others. Y'all hear me? It's the same thing. It's safe. It's close. It's warm. A place you want to be. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with others. And thirdly would be this. Self-worth. Self-worth. Now this is found in scripture and let's look at this. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. That's intimacy with God. Y'all here? That's intimacy with God. He says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. And that's intimacy with others as yourself which is self-worth, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, let's put it all together. Love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, ultimately, it's going to, it's going to spring from, all of this working together, it's going to spring from you having a healthy sense of self-worth. Because if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, well, if you're struggling with you, you're going to struggle with them. If you're mad at you, you're going to be mad at them. Hurt people hurt people. And, and so if, if you don't have that happening on the inside, of sense, and we'll define all this for you as we go, a healthy sense of self-worth, you're not really going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself because you really don't think that much of yourself. 
Now, you can go overboard on that, and we'll talk about the balance of that in just a moment. But love your neighbor as yourself. And then you say, well, I have intimacy with God. Don't count on it. Don't count on it. He says, don't even say that you love God if you don't love your brother. And so it all ties together. It, it all works together. The intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and then also uh, a, a healthy sense of self-worth brings you to a place where you have wholeness in your life and you can be fruitful uh, for God and useful to the people that are around you. If you understand that so far, just do something. Wave, nod, something. Or... All right. Did all your teams win? What's wrong? Okay. All right. Get, get with me here. It's early in the season, no matter who. Um, everything has to do with everything. Go ahead and say everything. Everything has to do with value. Let me put this way also, worth. So we're talking about self-worth here. Everything has to do with value. Everything. And if you have a problem in your life somewhere, a problem in culture, society, wherever it has to do with value. So big problem in our economy right now is, you know, it all has to do with value. Inflation, deflation, bubbles, recession, what do they call it? Depression. Uh, all, all these things, inflation, deflation, all those things going on. Stocks rising and falling. Some people with bated breath watching the market go up and down, up and down. What are you watching? You're watching values. You have shares. And then what is assigned? What value is assigned to that share? Is it up? Is it down? The dollar, the yen, the euro, all those things, you know. Uh, what is the value of that? Everything has to do with value. You know, if you feel like you got gypped or tricked in a, in a deal... Uh, you feel like you didn't, you paid too much or you didn't get what you paid for or so forth, or they didn't give you the right change. It all has to do with value and worth. The word for worship, the old English word actually means worth ship. So it has to do with us giving God his worth in a relationship. If we don't value one another, if we don't treat each other with value, then you have, you have problems there. Your priorities, how you use your time, how you use your money has to do with, I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't spend that much time on that. See what I'm saying? It has to do with everything is assigned some value, some worth. And you and I are the ones that are left to determine what is this worth to me? What is this worth to me? There's some things that are precious to you and you keep nearby and you keep an eye on and other things, you know, box it up. I don't know. Give it away. Who cares? You know, and you have things of varying worth to you. And sometimes it depends on just what's going on. You know, I, I watched a movie recently. Don't ask me which one. And I'm not up here to endorse movies or do movie reviews. I thought it was actually kind of cool. It was a guy movie. But anyway, um, at, at one point, and it's like post-apocalyptic kind of thing. And it shows these people walking through this one room. And there's, there's pearls and coins and, and dollars everywhere. But it is of no value. And they literally walked on it. And I thought, what a scene that is right there. They literally walked on it. All they needed was sustenance. That's what they were looking for. And so everything has to do with value and worth. Can I tell you something about you? It has to do with your worth. And this is the trap and the trick that the enemy is trying to play on you. He's wanting to devalue you and take away your worth, not only in your eyes, but in the eyes of other people. 
We talk about it so often that when we get off the right path and we do things in a different way, it damages you. And when something is damaged, you like to take it back and get a refund or some money off or exchange it. What happened? It just lost value. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And hear me and hear me well on this. That's what he's wanting to do when he's trying to get you to go a different way and to do things different than what he said to do. When you go another way besides God's way, it's going to damage you. It's going to damage you in your emotions, in your relations, in your in 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 physically, mentally, spiritually. You're going to end up damaged, and it reduces your value and your worth. And I'm going to tell you something: the enemy always has, and he always will, till he's locked up, and he will be locked up. He always has, and always will work against this. Now, in the garden at creation, all of these things were in place: intimacy with God, intimacy with others or other, and self worth. And let's watch what happens here. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil took on the form of a serpent. And the serpent could stand upright and he could talk. And I wish Adam had known what we knew. And then he would have choked him and tied him in a knot. You know, but, <laughs> but he didn't know at the time. And so he came and he, and he talked them into two things. And I want you to hear this. First of all, to question God's integrity. Did God really say that? God didn't really mean that. You know, that's, oh, don't worry about that. And what he did, he, God's holding out on you somehow. And what he's told you is not exactly accurate. And so what you do need to do is do what you want to do. And so what he talked them into is, first of all, to question God's integrity. And the second thing was this. He talked them into acting independently. To act independently. And when you start to question God's integrity, then you will start to act independently that's that's part of the whole thing behind evolution if i wasn't created i'm not accountable so i can act independently because i don't have to answer to anybody that's for another day y'all here all right so when we start to question god's integrity and act independently here's what happened for man he lost it all he lost it all now, notice this real quick, and this, this is intriguing to me, that before you sin, while you're being tempted, while you're thinking of, about it, guess what the enemy comes and says to you? He says, it's no big deal. But afterward, he comes to you and says, this is so big, you're never going to be forgiven. True? I mean, on this side of it all, he's coming to you and saying, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Doesn't matter. And then as soon as you do it, then guess what? Here it comes. They said, this is so big. You're out with God. You're out with everybody. Your life is ruined, dude. And it comes with you at at that. Interesting, isn't it? So, man had it all. Man lost it all. And let's look at it just for a moment. Go back to the garden again. And this is the order that happens in Scripture. Man suddenly realizes, I am naked. And he was ashamed. Where before he was covered with the glory of God and unaware of that. But now what he starts to do is to cover. To cover because something has changed in my value and in my worth. And the Bible says that they were sewing together fig leaves to make a new outfit. Did you know what? Probably everybody in here has some fig leaves. All of us in some way or another, we're covering. What are we covering? We're covering things that we feel are just don't. They're not up to value. They're not up to worth. And we're covering. We're covering. 
And so once he did that, that's his self-worth. And then the Bible says that God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he called out to Adam because Adam was hiding. So that's intimacy with God is also busted at this point. And then Adam has the audacity to blame his wife. How many of you know that will ruin intimacy with others? Okay. And so we now have all of that gone. Self-worth, intimacy with God, intimacy with with others. Man had it all. Man lost it all. Jesus came and paid it all. And Jesus restored it all. It is available, but it is not automatic. And so we want to look at this because for this to be reality in our life, we're going to have to learn to navigate around and fight through some traps and tricks of the enemy to destroy your value. If nowhere else, at least within your own eyes. And the enemy is still at that because he wants to keep you from wholeness and he wants to keep you from fruitfulness. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 through 12, and you need to know that this is prophetic. John is caught up in the, in the spirit. He sees this ahead of time. This has to do with great tribulation. This is to come, but you need to know also this shows us some behavioral things and some managing things that we can draw from this so that we know how to, how to deal with the enemy. So let's read this. John is caught up in the spirit and he says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren. That's your enemy. The accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Now, let me stop right there. Hold hold your place just for a moment. It appears from Job, Zechariah, Revelation, and a couple other places that Satan has some kind of access before God to be able to accuse the brethren. He went before for Job and some other cases and here that he seems to have some kind of access to come and to accuse the brethren, us, in front of God. And so uh, let's pick up here who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So let me put that together. The accuser of the brethren who would go before God day and night accusing you and I has been cast down. That's good news. Now this is yet to come, but if this works for heaven, this can work in our life. Okay. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, speaking of great tribulation, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And the thing is, is, is true today. He's crazy angry. He's active. He's angry. And he's got his eye on the clock. He knows that time is short. Even though this is prophetic, he's aware of this even right now. He's aware of the clock. He's angry. He's active. And he's working against you. And he's working against me because he does not want you to be whole. And he does not want you to be fruitful. So what he does is accuse you. This is one of the names of our enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And what the accuser does is he brings charges. He brings real charges, which are none of his business. He brings false charges and then he also tries to bring charges on something that's already been settled. It's billing fraud. It really is. He's billing you for some things that he can't charge you for that. He's giving false charges for some things that haven't happened. There is no bill on that. And then thirdly, he's charging you, double charging, triple charging, quadruple charging for things that have already been paid for. 
So you better pay attention. You better check your statement. Okay? So that we don't get all this going on. That's what the accuser of the brethren does. Now, typically he talks. And we don't hear a voice, but sometimes, how many of you know, we we sure hear him. And in some way, he's able to project some thoughts and some ideas into us. We cannot, excuse me, he cannot read your mind. He cannot read your mind. Only you know what's in your mind. Only you and God. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine through 11 talks about who knows the things of a man except the spirit that is in a man. And so only you know your thoughts. Some of you are going like, Only you and God know really what's in your heart and what's in your mind. Some of you may remember an episode of Gilligan's Island years ago. And they, they drank some kind of truth serum kind of thing. What was it, baby? They ate some seeds that helped them to know the thoughts of other people. And poor Gilligan, he walked up to Ginger, the movie star, and she slapped him. Because <laughs> she knew what he was thinking. Aren't you glad those seeds are not available? Okay. All right. But only you know your thoughts and God knows your thoughts. The enemy cannot read your thoughts. However, he does know what you're interested in. Your whole life, you have played a game of show and tell. And if a, an experienced fisherman took someone fishing and they're, they're baiting with some kind of lure or bait and we're fishing for a certain type of fish, the experienced fisherman will say, don't use that. They don't like that. Use this. They love this. And the enemy is experienced in fishing in your life and catching you with traps and tricks. How many of you know that's what fishing is, is trapping and tricking? And he's trying to trap and trick you again, and he knows what you bite on. So he in some way baits you, puts things out that prompt and tickle thought and trigger thought and bring things to your mind. Uh, I won't take the time to go into this. Rick Renner does an amazing teaching on the wiles and devices of the devil. And he's a Greek scholar. But he says the word wiles, which is the Greek word methodia, has to do with a path, a journey, a traveling over into. And it has a, a destination in mind. Devices of the devil that we also find in, in Corinthians has the idea of to bring confusion. And if you put it all together, what the enemy's trying to do is find some inroad into the inside of you to some way, ear gate, eye gate, some way to get inside of you an inroad to bring some confusion and to bring some fear into your life. He does not know your thoughts, but he in some way has some inroads to be able to affect your thinking. And what he wants to do is to convince you of some things dealing with your worth. Dealing with God's integrity, trying to get you to act independently so you can destroy that big three of intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and your self-worth. Now, he tries to assault your worth, your faith, your sense of security, your wholeness, because he wants to neutralize you, your gifts, your potential, and your future. He wants to make you unnoticed. He wants to make you invisible. He wants to make you of no effect. We find in... uh, Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 33. Children of Israel spying out the promised land. They came back and some brought back this report. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our sight. And so we were in their sight. 
Notice what they said. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now it's football season again and teams are, you know, battle is on. It's wartime. And you know what? If one team goes out to another team and go, y'all are way better than we are. But we got new helmets. Guess who's going to win? Okay. Or a boxing match, you know, and the guys get out there and they're not listening to the ref and he's giving it. All right, keep it clean. No little blows. And, you know, he's a list of my instructions all the time. He's going through all that. And they're just looking at each other, trying to let the other one know there's no chink in my armor. I'm taking you down. But if one guy is gulping and, and blinking and flinching, I mean, you know, he's going to lose. Okay. And so. That's what the enemies want to do is just wear you down, break you down on the inside so that you cannot face anything with any confidence that you're a grasshopper in your own sight. Moses was called of God. God did a supernatural appearing in front of him to call him. And Moses debated with God about God's call on his life. He said, I can't talk. I'm not a good talker. Nobody's going to believe me. I I need some help, but you know, that's not going to be enough. And I'm no good. You got the wrong guy for this thing. And part of that all has to do with all of his past coming up to, to that point. And then salt. How many of you know that you are the salt of the earth? Well, for the rest of you, you are the salt of the earth. I think some of you, I could have said, you are the nutmeg or something. You go, amen. No, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing But to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, which means this, if it loses its flavor, if it loses that edge, if it loses that taste, if it loses its preservative qualities, if it loses that, it's no different than sand. So you might as well throw it out with the sand. It has no value. And you are the salt of the earth and we've got to keep that edge and that flavor. And those preservative qualities, we've, we've got to keep those. But what the enemy's trying to do is just to get us washed out where we lose our flavor, lose our savor so that we are of no effect. We might as well just be sand trampled underfoot by man. And that's what the enemy's trying to do to us, to put you on the injured list, to hold you back, to hold you out, to let everybody forget you and that, that you end up never back in the game again. If there was a play, a Broadway show of your life, just before the opening curtain, there would be a voice to come on. This is the the devil's plan that the part the starring role of you will instead be played by a sad distorted empty shadow of the real you and you know what you're to be playing a starring role in your life and for the kingdom of god and he's trying to reduce you back to nothing so let's look at this real quick the traps and tricks of the enemy are to ruin your value your self-worth let's talk about self-worth just for a moment so we know what that is It's the belief that your life counts. It's the belief that you have value. It's the belief that you have something to contribute. It actually means this, that you can feel good. You can feel okay. You can even feel good about yourself. Now, how many of you know there's some people feel too good about themselves? Okay, well, we're not even talking about that. That's for, it's been said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody else sick except the one who has it. Okay, so we're not talking about that. 
But you can feel okay about yourself. You can even feel good about yourself. Those of you that raise children, raising children, or going or one day hope to raise children, don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want your children to grow up feeling okay? You want them to feel good about themselves. You don't want them all backward and, and locked up and, and feeling bad. And, you, and your, your fur will raise a little bit if somebody picks on them, makes fun of them, bullies them. I'll tell you what, you know, that's, those are fighting words. What am I guarding? I'm guarding their worth. I'm guarding their value. I want them to feel good about themselves and tell them you're loaded with gifts and you're awesome and you're funny. That's important. (laughs) And you're good looking and you're talented and I love you and I love being around you and everybody wants to be here and you need to build that into it. And I'm telling you what, your father, God's trying to do that to you every day. I said, he's trying to do that every day. He's trying to tell you, I love you so much. Do you know what I paid for you? And you mean the world to me and I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I'm going to give you a favor like a shield. I'm going to order your steps. I'm going to be with you and you're going to be awesome. That's what he wants for you. And you got to, you have to at some point accept that and believe that. But the enemy has worked. You ready for this? Not just your whole life. He's worked for generations. In your family to hurt your worth and your value today, at least in your own eyes. So let's look at this a little bit further to make you feel unworthy. He does this largely through guilt, which is always accompanied by shame, fear, and anger. And when you have guilt, shame, fear, and anger, it neutralizes you. It paralyzes you. When you have guilt, shame, fear, and anger, you're not creative. When you have guilt, shame, fear, and anger, you don't feel like being hospitable to other people. You don't, you don't have time to be kind to other folks. I mean, when you're destroyed on the inside with guilt, shame, fear, and anger, I'll tell you what, you're in a trap. You're in a trick of the enemy. Here's how he does it. He likes to bring up your past. I said he likes to bring up your past. He likes to remind you of your failures. He likes to also remind you of the damage done to you and the damage done to your family. And he loves to remind you of the damage caused by you because he wants to make you feel like you're unforgiven, unworthy, unaccepted and disqualified. If he can do that, then then he destroys your self-worth, which will cause you to be alienated from intimacy with God and intimacy with others. The big three. And now you are far from being Far from being whole and fruitful and the salt loses its flavor. So what do we do? Anybody want to know? All right, we'll just wait till next week then. So, Anybody want to know? Okay. Remember earlier we read in Revelation chapter 12, it says that the accuser got expelled from heaven. He literally got cast down. How did they do that? How did they overcome him? Two things, and then we're going to find out how to apply this here. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It means this, the work of the cross. And then you then acknowledge and declare what that means in your life. The work of the cross. We sang about the cross this morning. We have put a cross out front and out back because it's such a powerful, powerful symbol. And the work of the cross, the blood of the lamb, the work of the cross. And then for us to acknowledge and declare what that effect, the effect of that in our lives. Let's, let's look at that just a little bit further. You still with me? 
Second Corinthians five seventeen and verse 21, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I mean, you know, if you've got an old one and a new one, which one is worth more? Okay, the new one in most cases. For, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Then in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 12 through 14, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us. That means he's made us worthy. He's made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The old is gone. The new has come. The great swap took place on the cross where we were damaged and loaded with sin. And Jesus took that off of us, took it himself, nailed it to the cross, made us righteous, took care of all of that, and then showed back up as righteous again. We have been qualified and made worthy to be partakers. We've been rescued and we've been redeemed. Now, if you've been rescued and you've been redeemed... I can remember times riding along in, in a boat or years ago, we had some sea dews. And I remember one time I had a hat. I love this hat. I'm driving along really fast and my hat blew off. I had to decide, am I going back for my hat? And I loved my hat. So I went back and got my hat. Y'all with me? You've been rescued. You've been redeemed. Because he loved you that much. Because he said, yeah, I want. I want that. I want that. Everything's about worth. Everything's about value. My wife, her favorite show on Saturday mornings is Antique Road Show. And it's to find out, is this, is this worth something or not? And some people are surprised that it's worth nothing. And some people are blown away how much something is actually worth. Do you know what worth really means? What somebody's willing to pay for something. Get this, and then I'll share three things with you. Notice that the enemy is not after the new man. He's always after the old man. He's always trying to resurrect your old self. He's saying, remember how weak you are? Remember what pulls on you? Remember where you failed? Remember where you did that wrong? Remember, 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 remember. And he's trying to resurrect the old man and get this and then make you think that that's still who you are. When instead you are a new man in Christ. Are y'all getting this? You're a new man in Christ. And you've got to remember that that's who you are. Real quick. And I've got to, I've got to hurry on this, but bear with me. The first thing that we need to do. How can we apply this? How can we overcome and end up with good value and, and, and self-worth? The first thing is this. Review. Everybody say review. It really means to remember and to recall. You need to recall in your life. Stay with me, church. You need to recall in your life when was there the transfer of the title of your life from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. When did that happen? Did that happen? Do you belong to God? You need to go back and review that transaction. I was in sixth grade, and I'll just give you the short on this. I was in sixth grade. Our family was basically heathen. 
a Southern Baptist pastor knocked on our door in a trailer park. And he came and invited us to come to the church. And we went. And I thought, well, it's kind of cool. And so we went and the, the, the church was really old. It looked like something I thought Abraham Lincoln would probably go to church in. Church up to that point had been some high church kind of thing. And then we quit because of divorce and alcohol and other stuff. We thought it's not doing anything anyway. And we moved and, and crazy things happened in my family. And now we find ourselves here. And the Southern Baptist pastor just comes and knocks on the door and said, I don't know why, but I felt constrained to back up and come and knock on this door and invite you. And we came. And about two weeks later, the pastor asked my parents, can Tim and Terry, me and my brother, Would you bring them to my house and could I just sit and talk with them just a little bit? And so my mom took us and dropped us off. And I remember his little house in Lady Lake, Florida. And we went and we sat on the couch. My mom made us, you know, comb our hair and, you know, we're all top button and all that jazz, you know. And we're sitting there and the pastor, his name's Dave Toller. Some of you will will know Dave. And Dave took us through a little yellow booklet I'll never forget as long as I live called Have You Heard of the Four Spiritual Laws? And he took us through there and I looked at every page and I answered the questions as he talked. And then he says, do you believe this and do you want to receive Jesus into your life? Do you want your life to belong to God? Do you want Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart? And I said, I do. I knew fully what I was saying. My brother said, I do. He said, let's kneel by this couch. And we knelt by this couch. He knelt right by us. I can still smell his hair tonic. And he led us in a prayer, and I meant every word of that prayer. I meant every word of that prayer. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I accepted what he did for me. The title of my life transferred out of my hands, out of the devil's hands, out of anybody else's hands. And I knew from that moment on, I belong to God Almighty. And I can go back to that, and you've got to go back to that. Did I live a perfect life? Heck no. And a lot of mistakes in different zones in my life where I got away from God. But I can take you back and time would, would not permit. And plus some of it's none of your business. Um, <laughs> hold on. I can take you back to where I said, God, I'm back. I'm sorry. And I know that was the wrong way to go. I questioned your integrity and I acted independently and it damaged me, but I've come back home. And what you've got, you've got to do, I've got to do, we've got to continue to do is review this. And if you don't have a story and you don't remember your story, you need to go back and recall to mind, when did the title get transferred over? When did you get rescued and transferred into the kingdom? When did Jesus become your Lord? Can you say, I belong to him? This is important for your work. This is so important for you knowing your worth. I belong to God. Second thing you may need to do is this. And all of us need to continue to do this. It's a new word. I'm bringing it back. Repent. Repent. Everybody say repent. It means to turn around. Change your thinking. Change your direction. Turn around. Come back to God and find forgiveness. And if if you've never knelt before a living God, you need to do that. But if you have and you know that things are in your life that shouldn't be in your life, you know you're questioning God's integrity and you're acting independently and you've fallen into the trap and the trick, then guess what? You need to repent. You need to change your thinking and change your direction. You need to come back to God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. You can be forgiven and you can be cleansed. And this is so important to your value. You got refurbished. 
You've been fitted out like new again. Because of what he's done and the unrighteousness is gone and the sin is gone and God will work and mend and heal in, in your damage in your life. And if you ask for forgiveness and you still feel guilty, that's the accuser of the brethren trying to falsely bill you. Because if you've come to him and you've confessed, God will forgive you, period. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, it says the blood of Christ cleanses even our conscience from dead works so that we can worship and serve the living God. David's Psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. He says, forgive me, cleanse me. He said, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. Don't take your Holy spirit from me and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Folks, when you go through reviewing and repenting, you're going to feel and sense your worth because Jesus paid a dear price so that you could be whole again. And then lastly, You need to rehearse. What does rehearse mean? If you truly rehearse something, you go over it and 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 you go over it. You get in the point. And you need to go over God's word and what he says about you and God's love and God's faithfulness in your life and his help and his plan in your life. And that is the word of your testimony. Psalm 107 verse 1 1 and 2 says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Get this part. Let the redeemed of the Lord Say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He paid the ransom. He paid what he thought you were worth. He paid the greatest price that's ever been paid. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so means this. Let the redeemed of the Lord think like it. Let the redeemed of the Lord talk like it. Let the redeemed of the Lord walk like it and act like it. And you need to rehearse that over and over and over. You need to know who you are. Now, as I close, and I told you earlier, I wish I had an hour and a half to teach on this today. But for you and I to step into a place of healthy self-worth is vital. I said there's some people that think too much of themselves. I really wonder. Is it maybe a really, really super duper get up made of fig leaves? But for you and I to have a healthy self-worth. For us to overcome the guilt and the insecurity that sometimes generations of your own family line have added to you. This is not just an emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It is a spiritual thing. And it is an act of faith. It is something that you choose to believe and something that you choose to accept so that you no longer have to hide and you no longer have to pretend and that you can know, you know what? I can feel okay about me. I can't even feel good about me. Not so much on what I've done, but what God felt I was worth. A man shared with me, leaving after first service, he had a friend who had defected from Cuba to the United States. So he was Cuban by descent. During the Bay of Pigs situation that took place a long time ago, some of you won't even remember that. He and some others of Cuban origin were captured by Castro. The United States government paid a ransom of several hundred thousand dollars for each of those men to come back. And this guy shared with the gentleman who shared with me. He said, I had a hard time for a while thinking anybody would pay anything for me. 
and to know that my newfound government was willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for my release, I thought it must be worth something. So why don't I become a great citizen in this great country? You were lost and undone and captured and caught in traps and tricks and being told constantly that you are nothing and pointed out to your failures and you'll never amount to anything. And Jesus Christ came along and paid a price. He paid a ransom for you. And I could go on and on with this, but I'm just going to end with this. And because all of that, and you need to believe this and you need to accept it. I'll say it for myself. My past is redeemed. My, fu- my present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm going to stop right there. But do you all get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord.